Episode 288 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by the new book from Rita McGrath called Seeing Around Corners. It's your go-to guide for spotting and responding to strategic inflection points in business before they happen. To find out more about this new book, visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash corners. If you have a relationship where you feel like you're walking on eggshells, where you have to be careful of what you say, where you avoid speaking up because you're afraid of the reaction that you're going to get, and where you are often compromising and giving in because you feel like that's easier than confronting the situation, it is incredibly likely that you are dealing with a toxic relationship. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, host of the Read to Lead podcast. I am so glad you've decided to spend part of your week with me means a lot. This is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. And you may know that I believe that if you desire true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of that plan. To that end, I interview a new successful and inspiring author each week, and we dig into the key insights and main ideas from their latest book, among other topics. This time around, we get to sit down with author Mackie Musavi, who's written a brand new book called The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. I'll ask Mackie to share about how to overcome your limiting beliefs. Yes, we all have them. Putting an end to tolerating toxic relationships, the three illusions fueled by fear, and much, much more. Before we welcome Mackie, I want to tell you quickly about another new book I highly recommend called Seeing Around Corners. It's written by Rita McGrath and came out in September. And it is the first prescriptive guide to anticipating and capitalizing on disruptive inflection points shaping the marketplace before they happen. Though they often seem to come out of nowhere, inflection points, Rita says, are not random nor unexpected. Every overnight shift is actually the final stage of a process that has been subtly building over time. Rita says by spotting the early warning signs, you and your company can actually benefit from disruptive trends and drive your business to greater success. I love, too, that she's broken down seeing around corners into short, digestible chapters with easy-to-follow strategies and concrete examples designed to help you recognize or even spark inflection points to maximize your business opportunities. Now, to find out more about this book and to get your copy right now, all you have to do is go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash corners. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash corners to pick up your copy of Seeing Around Corners by Rita McGrath, our sponsor of today's episode. Mackie Musavi is a corporate career veteran and master's trained genetic counselor who left the glory of societally defined success to become a transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author. Three of my favorite things. <laughs> Over the last several years, she's focused on personal development and how to help high achievers create fundamental change in the pursuit of fulfillment. She has a passion for helping people see their true potential and supporting their journeys to raising the bar for their lives, using the wisdom and knowledge she's gained through her education and her own journey from being stuck to being aligned. Her new book, out officially today, is called The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. I'm thrilled to have her. Mackie, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Well, I love uh, this book for many reasons, uh, not the least of which is uh, the fact that you get pretty real and raw about your 
own upbringing and, and story and how for many years, I think you would agree, you allowed sort of the circumstances of that to, to dictate how you approached life as an adult. And I'm wondering if for context, you wouldn't mind sharing some of those childhood experiences here. Sure. Yeah, I feel like it's really important to share and be transparent about things like that, because people can easily fall into the trap of seeing people who maybe have accomplished or are where they want to be and assuming that they've had it easy, when I don't think any of us has it easy. (laughs) And so being transparent about that can be empowering to other people who hear the stories. But essentially, you know, my upbringing was I'm a first generation American. So my parents were immigrants. And there's a lot of cultural expectations, I think, that come with that, as well as just the particular circumstances of my childhood or that I had a, a father who was verbally and physically abusive during my upbringing and a mother who had some issues. And I didn't realize until I was an adult that mm. you know she really aligns with narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. And between those two things and just a lot of the interpersonal issues that my parents had. And also, I think just the fact of the reality, which was that they had escaped a a, a country or left a country before it really fell into turmoil, just maybe feeling like they were lost and unmoored really had an impact on the way that my life went. And for many years, I was an only child. So my adaptation was to basically try to stay hidden, try to be unseen, try to make as few waves as possible when I was at home, because I didn't really want the consequences of what being seen meant. And what that translated into for me was I had to get that validation as a child from somewhere. So that really turned into more of an outward focus around being a really good student so that I could get that validation from teachers, accomplishing and achieving things that had tangible results so that I could reassure myself that I was okay and that I was worth something, basically. Uh, and, And in some ways, and I think in your work life, too, didn't you kind of walk around with this bottled up anger that was just waiting and looking for a chance to just strike? Absolutely. You know, anger was something that was just so incredibly pervasive. It was what I learned as a basically the first and Um, essential reaction to any situation where something felt unfair. And so my childhood experience was that I was shown that and I really internalized that and I became a very angry person, which was incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. I felt powerless to change it. I didn't know how to change it. I think that's how a lot of us feel about things that are so ingrained in us that we feel they're inescapable. And it was actually luckily for me in high school that I had an experience where I was just feeling miserable physically. I had a lot of pain and my physician, my family physician had the insight and was able to ask me, you know, do you think you might be depressed? Which was a question that actually absolutely shocked me. Hmm because I didn't have any symptoms of depression in the traditional sense, except for the fact that things like irritability and other things that are more on the spectrum of being annoyed and reactive can be symptoms of depression as well. But the pain was really my primary symptom. And so he suggested maybe I talk to someone and it was through that therapeutic conversation with a psychologist. You know, when we started talking about my anger, who opened my eyes by asking me, you know, where do you think that anger is coming from? And that anger is typically a secondary emotion, which is triggered by an underlying more vulnerable emotion that we're attempting to avoid. Mm -hmm. And that insight 
really changed, I think, the trajectory of my life because what it did was make me stop every time I became angry to consider why do I feel angry right now so that I could diffuse it mm. and move forward in a way that was better for me and everyone around me than what I had been doing. Mm. That, that leads right into my next question. As was the case for you, I think, for all of us, we, we, we don't come by the way we are overnight, right? It takes years. And, and, and that also means that Undoing some of maybe the the the, the negative aspects of, of our upbringing and, and circumstances takes weeks, months, if not years, to 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 undo. What are some of the questions we can ask ourselves, Mackie, to sort of help get the self examination process kickstarted, if you will? Yeah, I think there's a couple of really important things. You know, the first is that because we are so programmed by all of our experiences from the time we're born, and, you know, you see in the book that I kind of compare the way that our minds work to a computer. Mm. You know, unfortunately for us, we do get programmed, but we don't have any easy buttons for system updates <laughs> or virus scans. So we're, we're stuck doing that work ourselves. But the challenge becomes when you are so heavily ingrained and programmed in the way that you operate, you don't realize anymore that that is the case. So you really go into kind of an autopilot mode where whatever's happening inside your head is happening on almost a subconscious level because you're not even really paying attention to it anymore. Mm. And it's so incredibly important to get out of that mode if you really want to understand what's happening inside of your own head. One of the things I tell people to do is to tune in to what that mental chatter inside your head is really like. You know, what are you saying to yourself about a situation, a circumstance, the way you reacted to something, what you're afraid of, how you feel about any given situation? Because what that will do as you stop to question, especially as you begin to notice, you know, maybe I'm feeling tense or anxious, what's going on inside my head, you can start to see the patterns of limiting thoughts and beliefs that are essentially always running in the background, which are the reason why you stay stuck where you are. You're not paying attention to those things. You're not proactively trying to change them. They are what they are. You have to be aware of them in order to do anything about them. So it's really important to do that. Get out of autopilot mode, start paying attention to the way that you think and what you're saying to yourself and to look and write those down because one of the challenges we have is that as high achievers, especially we're very busy and we tend to be very analytical and to be thinking a lot. And when all we do is think about and kind of put things on a hamster wheel inside of our own minds, they stay stuck there. We really have to give them an outlet and writing it down can be very powerful. Uh, limiting beliefs is, is something that over the last few years and all the reading that I've done, I've become so much more attuned to in my own life and, and, and begun to recognize uh, quickly in others uh, as well. Uh, you mentioned internal limiting beliefs, uh, but that's really one of the two lenses through which we need to, to sort of view this. The other one you mentioned is external. Can you Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. It's through beginning that exercise of, you know, looking at what am I thinking that you can start to categorize between these two sets of limiting beliefs, one of which is the limiting beliefs you have about yourself and what you believe you're capable of. And then the other set of beliefs is about the world around you and what you think the world will allow. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I think this is so powerful is because I have a lot of clients all the time who will tell me things like, well, it's a man's world. So I can only do so much or the world doesn't work that way or society wouldn't accept that. Right. So it becomes a very externally oriented thing where you think I'm limited by what the world around me will enable me to do. Both sets of limiting beliefs are very damaging because it 
either way, you're basically slamming the door on whatever you want because you believe what you want is not possible. When in fact, it's the programming that leads you to believe what is possible and how you are limited versus the actual reality. There have been a few times here on the podcast where the topic of, of toxic relationships has come up and, and how to handle them. But as I've, I've read what you've written on this topic, I think you cover it about as well as anyone else uh, I've ever read. Uh, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind, Mackie, uh, speaking to uh, some of the symptoms of toxic behavior and manipulation tactics that are, I think, too often tolerated by, by so many of us. Yes, I completely agree. And I actually think, you know, one of the challenges I had was how to make this relevant in the context of being a high achiever and examining yourself. But the reality is that even what we just talked about in terms of limiting beliefs is very connected to this particular topic, because toxic relationships, especially when they're in, you know, our important relationships, like our friendships, our family members, our coworkers, and inside of our organizations and hierarchies become a source of limiting beliefs for us, especially when we don't recognize that what's happening is in fact toxic. And some of those toxic behaviors, you know, we can easily identify obviously toxic behavior, right? It's very easy for us to see the person who is clearly manipulative, lies, distorts the truth and does those things. One of the more challenging aspects is to recognize toxic behavior in people who do not present that way overtly. Mm. And that is one of the challenges that we have, because sometimes it's people who appear to be, quote unquote, very nice and very agreeable that are actually manipulating us. And so one of the things to look for is how you feel in reaction in relationship to that person. It's actually the most important thing to look at, because we can be really good at talking ourselves out of our own feelings. And if you have a relationship where you feel like you're walking on eggshells, where you have to be careful of what you say, where you avoid speaking up because you're afraid of the reaction that you're going to get, and where you are often compromising and giving in because you feel like that's easier than confronting the situation, it is incredibly likely that you are dealing with a toxic relationship. Wow. Well said. Let's get back uh, for a moment to limiting beliefs. And you present, I think, a very easy formula in the book. I believe it's in chapter three for sort of breaking the, the chains of limiting beliefs. Can you walk us through the sort of limiting belief slash worry slash pattern exercise that, that, that you talk about? Sure. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's hard for people to see how the limiting beliefs are showing up in their lives. So one thing to, as you get clear on this is to think about, okay, my limiting belief is that let's say, for instance, I am socially awkward. Okay, so you believe this about yourself. And then what happens is you worry, you know, am I if I get invited to this party, are people going to want to hang out with me? Mm. Because basically, that's coming from I'm socially awkward. I don't know how to network. I don't know how to make small talk. And so then the thoughts that you walk around with essentially become, you know, I'm not good at networking or events because I'm not good at small talk or I'm socially awkward. And then what happens that people don't realize is they actually set themselves up through that pattern of belief to creating a pattern in their life where mm -hmm. then whenever they do go to an event, they do not have a good time and everything they believe to be true about them limits their ability to interact effectively with other people. And they basically create a reality around this limiting belief. So if you believe you're socially awkward, that you're not good at networking, and that's something that you worry about going into any given situation, it's highly likely that you are not going to have a good experience at that, at that event because you're so in your own head about how you're going to behave and what's going to happen in that event. And those types of limiting beliefs 
thought worry patterns are everywhere in our lives. The really good news, I think, is that a lot of the limiting beliefs we have are almost repetitive. So even though they may seem like they're different limiting beliefs and they're having different outcomes on the surface or that you may have that show up differently in different areas of your life, the reality is that as you start to address one area, you become very adept at seeing where you're doing that in other areas and it becomes a much more organic process, even though it can feel difficult at first. Hmm. Limiting beliefs are a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What you believe are the limitations are the limitations. Yeah. I always think of the um, famous quote, you know, whether you believe you can or you can't you're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what this is about. <laughs> well, uh, speak to the importance of defining success for ourselves, Mackie, and, and why you believe so strongly that how we do that can be the sort of the difference between feeling caged uh, or, or feeling free. Yes. Success, as most of us experience it, is really something that has been defined for us. And we may not realize that until we get to the point where we are successful by all measures, but we're not feeling fulfilled. And that was definitely my own experience. You know, I had the role that I always wanted. I was making more money than I ever thought I was possible to make. I had the nice house. You know, I had the car that I wanted. I had all the tangible elements of success right. that we tend to measure success by and was incredibly miserable. Mm. And what I really had to do was some self-examination. You know, at first I panicked a little bit because I thought maybe I'm just not capable of happiness, mm. <laughs> which is kind of a, a well-limiting belief, right? Yeah. Um, that that was scary for me because I really had done everything that I thought I needed to do and had what I wanted to have and still felt that way. And as I was starting to think about how to get myself out of that, one of the first things that occurred to me, which I think occurred to a lot of people is, well, I probably just need to look for another job because it's probably the circumstances or the situation or something that's making me feel this way. And because I was so in the mode of personal development at the time, I quickly realized that a new job would do nothing but change the scenery because I was going to take myself into that next experience and ultimately end up feeling just as trapped as I felt where I was. Mm. And it's because we are following what's been defined for us and we have to have the courage to look at what we personally want, which is where a lot of limiting beliefs are going to come up because that's where you're going to start telling yourself, I can't have this. It's not possible. I can't make money doing that. What I want isn't realistic. And it, the floodgates are basically going to open in order to keep you in the place where you're with the devil, you know, rather than the devil that you don't. <laughs> and it is really hard to understand or appreciate what do I want when you're very immersed in what you don't want? We don't give ourselves the mental space to think about what we truly want because we immediately tell ourselves why we can't have it. And that's why it's so important to get clear on this and not judge yourself and not put qualifiers on it, but just start with, okay, this is what I know I don't want. This is what is not working. And let that start to inform what you do want. So you can kind of baby step yourself into this new definition of success that works for you without killing it before you've even begun. Well, related to all this, of course, is is fear. It's, it's something that none of us are, are exempt from, but the high achievers among us have have somehow learned to act in spite of. Talk a bit, if you would, Mackie, about what you've learned by identifying uh, what you call the, the three illusions fueled by, by fear. Yeah, I think we have these illusions that really, especially as people who are high achieving go-getters, hold us back and they're ultimately fueled by fear, even though we don't recognize them as such immediately. Mm. One of them really is a fear and that's the fear of failure. 
most of us, I mean, all of us have experienced failure. And in fact, all of us can look back at those failures and see how they informed or changed something in our lives for the better. Mm. But we tend to think about that moment where we feel like we have failed rather than seeing what is truly there, which is an opportunity to learn. And I love to use the example of just everything that we take advantage of in our lives every single day, whether it's technology, modern medicine, you know, vaccinations, electricity, the internet, these are things that exist because someone believed it was possible to have these things. And it took many iterations and lots of tries to get to the point where we just use and accept those things as reality without considering what it took to bring those into reality, which is this you learn through doing. And then when you learn what doesn't work, you make a slight adjustment and you do it again. And we learn such incredibly important things. So instead of seeing failure as something to be afraid of, see the try as an opportunity to learn something that will help you move forward. The second of those is this idea that we have control because we don't have control. And control is something that we hold on to in order to minimize outcomes we don't want. So those are ultimately fear-driven outcomes we don't want. We think, if I can just lay a really intense plan down and have all of my to-dos on the list and, and execute according to this plan, then I can control the outcome. And the reality is we have no control and we all know this because we experience it. You know, there's examples all the time, very successful people. You know, if your company decides to downsize and you get laid off, it doesn't matter how great of a performer you were, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how well you thought you were going to execute. At the end of the day, you didn't have control over the outcome. Been there. Yeah, right. I mean, a lot of people have those experiences. And when you allow control to kind of go away, what you do is you allow for other things to come in. I think one of the most dangerous things about controlling everything is that you have a very limited lens of what you believe is possible. We all do, right? We have it from our own experience in this programming that we've talked about. And when you let go of control, you allow things that maybe you are not able to see from your limited perspective to come into your life in a very powerful way because you're not blocking it by trying to control everything that happens. So instead of trying to control everything, you know, I think it's more important to take inspired action and then allow some things to come into your awareness and some things to transpire in a way that can take you forward more powerfully. Mm. A young woman named Julianne in a Facebook group I manage uh, said this yesterday, Mackie. She said, for too long, I believe that if I just kept my head down and did good work, all the things would just work out. It wasn't until the last couple of years that I realized I'm the only one responsible for my life and future. If I want something, I need to take action and speak up. Now, she said this in response to me sharing in that group one of my favorite quotes from your book. Entirely too much of your life is happening to you without your intervention. Uh, you're living in a state of reactivity, waiting for life to serve something up that you can respond to rather than acting with intention to create what you want. Uh, I'd love for you to just, uh, if you don't mind, kind of riff on this or expound on that for, for just a minute. Absolutely. And I love that that triggered that thought for the, the woman in your group, because that's it's an incredibly powerful realization. We are very, very reactive. You know, we wait for things to happen and then so that we can react to them. And you can hear this a lot of the time in just common phrases that people say things like, well, whatever's meant to happen will happen. If it's meant to be, it will be. I'm going to wait and see. We'll see what comes up. 
And what that does is it takes you to a very disempowered place where you have no ability basically to create something. You're waiting to see what is possible again through this very limited place of expectation. And then you're just reacting to whatever shows up instead of saying, this is what I want. And this is the path that I'm going to take in order to facilitate the creation of what I want while remaining flexible so that as I evolve, I can see what better opportunities come up instead of just sitting around and waiting to see what hits your windshield or what comes up that you have to react to. And a lot of the time, you know, the things that come up for us to react to tend to not be positive necessarily. So it's the whole, you know, I've been hanging out at this job that I really hate forever, but it's just going to work out because I'm going to keep my head down. And then you wake up one day and you've lost your job. Right. And here's the thing about that. Ultimately, in every situation, even when it feels like something really sucks that just occurred, it's happening for your benefit even if you can't see that in the moment. And that is what reactivity does to you. If you know there is a change that you need to make and you aren't making it because you are waiting for something to occur so that you can react, it takes all of your power away when you could have been that whole time thinking, I really don't like this. I'm really not happy. I'm going to start moving towards something that I really want and doing that in an empowered way on your own terms. You're going to end up face planted in the dirt because you waited to react to a situation and then you're starting from rock bottom. Love that advice. If, if you have enjoyed our conversation thus far, do yourself a favor and, and grab Mackie's book because the reality is the questions I've asked up to this point really only cover about the first half. There's still another another seven chapters we haven't really dug into. Uh, so, so pick it up now. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Well, in the time we have left, Mackie, I do want to ask you a couple of questions not related to the book, if I may. But before I do that, I also want to give you a chance to share with us anything else about the book you, you, you'd like for us to know. You know, I feel like this book is just, it's if you're afraid as we're talking about all this, I think fear is a really natural response to any kind of transformative change. But if you're willing to just put the knowledge in your head that there are tools to make this happen much more quickly than you may believe is possible right now, pick up the book because the tools are laid out for you. Well, I want to ask you on the topic of books uh, to share, if you don't mind, what would you say are the top, say, two or three titles that come to mind as having had the biggest impact on you? Sure. Well, definitely the one that I always recommend and is one of my all-time favorites is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It is such an excellent book, really, on the topic of fear. And I read it at a very critical time for me when I was really considering, you know, how was I going to get myself out of this place that I felt stuck in? And the way that he addresses fear, even though he talks about art, it really applies to anything, is incredibly powerful because he addresses fear. He kind of gives it this name resistance with a capital R and how that is just a consistent piece of our lives that we have to overcome over and over again. And so the way he lays it out is very empowering. And it you really see it as something more as from a philosophical standpoint of I'm just going to have to slay this dragon over and over again, <laughs> instead of thinking that it's supposed to not be there in order for me to act. <laughs> right. Uh, any other books come to mind? Yes. The other one that comes to mind is The Big Leap. Um, mm. And that's by Gay Hendricks. And he is a psychologist. And he does a great job in this book of laying out um, whether how to see whether you're really living up to your potential and how most people operate in what he calls the zone of excellence, which is um, exactly what we covered in terms of you're really good at your job. You have a lot of success. You're making a lot of money, but you're probably able to do almost a lot of what you're doing on autopilot mode. 
And his argument is uh, it's the zone of genius that we should be trying to uh, reach in terms of our potential. And he does a great job of laying out really great stories of some very um, accomplished people that whose names you would recognize and how they went from being in their zone of excellence to really going into their zone of genius and what it takes to do that. I've not had a chance to interview him uh, before, but have, have featured that book here on the podcast because I loved it so much. I facilitate a mastermind group. And in fact, the, the zone of genius uh, concept inspired the name of our group, the zone of genius mastermind. Anyone without context thinks we're a pretty pretentious <laughs> bunch for calling ourselves the zone of genius mastermind, but uh, nonetheless, it, it stuck. Well, uh, as someone who is, I believe, a successful speaker, what are some of your tips, Mackie, for, for delivering a talk that's uh, memorable and, and impactful? Yeah, you know, I think the most important thing is uh, my experience has been that people really relate to the vulnerability of sharing what it was like for me, the fact that I started out in kind of a, you know, sad place where my self worth was actually pretty low, despite my success, because I was really looking to external validation, some of the things I had experienced, you know, my own battles to overcome. Mm. Those are the things that people really relate to because they can see themselves in that and see that it's possible to work past and overcome those personal barriers that we all experience. Um, and I also tend to be kind of uh, direct if you haven't already noticed. <laughs> um, and, you know, not everybody likes that. But I think with this particular topic, you really need someone almost to kind of get in your face and tell you that you're capable of something mm-hmm. and that now is the time and that you're putting it off for no good reason. And let's get after this because you can do this. And so I really, you know, one of the things I had to do in my corporate life that was really miserable for me in particular was being told over and over again to kind of soften my edges and dull that piece of myself down. And so it's very gratifying to be able to be authentic and uh, deliver in that way and have it be effective and have people tell me like this really, I really needed to hear this today or whatever impact it has on them. And, and that was something I had to do, right? That was something I was tolerating in my personal experience was that I was allowing people to tell me that I was too much of something. Mm. And it was one of the reasons I had to leave and giving that piece of myself voice to really help other people create change in their lives has been really empowering. Well, I, I think the directness uh, for what my opinion's worth definitely works. I, I mentioned, you know, your way of covering just the topic of toxic relationships and many other topics as well. The directness to me helps it truly hit home and resonate. So I, I appreciate that about it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this may be premature to ask, but uh, with the book uh, just out, any idea uh, what's ahead for you and your team uh, that you're working on and or excited about? Yeah, so just um, I think on the on the topic of control and allowing and all of that, you know, I am really trying to be very open to what this what opportunities this will bring. I'm still seeing clients one-on-one. I love doing that. One of the things I am planning on is having a workshop um, in early 2020 around how to set yourself up for a different year than you've ever had Mm. by taking some of these principles and really getting on the path of beginning to transform the way you see success and and how to walk the path toward fulfillment. So I'm really excited about setting up that workshop and of course, you know, continuing to spread the the message through speaking opportunities that come up and, and just being open to seeing what other doors might open. Well, as those things unfold, if you don't mind, uh, be sure to keep me in the loop and I'll do what I can to, to share it with my tribe. I would love to do that. Yes, I, I would love to. Well, the book again is called The High Achievers Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. Her name is Mackie 
Usabi. Mackie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here. Uh, I got a lot out of the conversation and certainly got a lot too out of, out of reading your book. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It was great. I'm planning on recommending Mackie's book to several of those that I work with. I think it can do you a lot of good as well. For more on the book, the links and resources we chatted about, you can visit the show notes page or the blog post associated with this episode. You'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 288 for episode 288. There, you'll also find a link to our sponsor's book. That's Rita McGrath, author of the book, Seeing Around Corners. Or you can go directly to readtoleadpodcast.com slash corners. If you have comments about the show, feedback, questions, suggestions, what have you, feel free to email me, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com, like Christina just did. She started by saying, slow down, Jeff. I just finished episode 148. And you're sending me an email about episode 287. I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) Don't worry, Christina. You will catch up eventually. Well, that should do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time, though, for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. At Granger. We're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.